0: what is up everybody it's chris from the rewired soul podcast and today we have another episode talking with an author about their new book and it's called let's be reasonable all right so this is actually a professor and his name is jonathan Marks, and i cannot remember where i saw this book uh recommended it actually um And it was somewhere on Twitter, but anyway. So I I grabbed this book, and I was like, "Okay, what what is this book about?" It's like, "Let's be reasonable." And he, uh, Jonathan, is a conservative, and he's a professor, right? And I read the book and I binged it because I'm sitting there. So you know, as many of you know, if you've been listening to podcasts, I I feel I'm pretty left leaning, right? And we're in such a polarized time. Like, let's see what this you know conservative professor talks about. And I agreed with like 90% of what he was saying. But what I found really interesting was he was criticizing and critiquing fellow conservative professors. Like, don't get me wrong, he also has criticisms of, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, liberal leading professors and all that. But I was like, you know, well, it would be really nice if, you know, more liberal professors like really took this like, you know, this self-examination and looked at like where they're going wrong in higher education and all that. So I was hooked and, uh yeah, I think a lot of what, uh, you know, um, fuels my reading and learning is because I want to understand human irrationality, why we're not reasonable. So that's another reason why I grabbed his book. But Jonathan, um, he he's such a great guy. And he takes this like, you know, philosophy uh, uh, kind of angle on all of this. And he was really great to talk to when we talk about so many uh, different topics in higher education, you know, from, you know, what's it mean? To be reasonable, Um, you know how can we better uh, teach young people to be reasonable? But one of the more interesting parts of this conversation that I couldn't wait to talk to him about is there's uh, there's a a conversation amongst uh, uh, conservatives and even just people from the heterodox community that there are not uh, enough conservative professors, right? And that's something I've noticed, and I I've questioned it because it almost seems like. You know, when when that conversation is brought up on the other side for different careers, conservatives have, you know, the arguments that they bring up. So I'm like, well, isn't this kind of the same thing? So I was like, Jonathan, I've been dying to ask you about this. And he actually breaks down a few different possible theories that are very realistic. And and we talk about that because it's a common narrative that just, you know, universities are biased towards conservatives and stuff. And, uh, you know, maybe that's not the case. Maybe it is. But you'll find out when Jonathan and I talk about it in this episode. All right, so I really hope you enjoy this episode. Make sure you grab a copy of the book down in the description below. uh, There is a link uh, to Jonathan's Twitter. Make sure you are following him and grab a copy of this book. Like my son is only 12 years old, but I think in the future, uh, maybe too much, and I'm already thinking about him going off to college. So I really enjoyed this book, and I want to know, you know, what to be prepared for. It's one of the reasons why I keep up to date on what's happening on colleges campuses. So grab a copy of this book, and while you're down in the description, make sure you are following me over on Instagram and Twitter at the Rewired Soul, so you don't miss any upcoming episodes, and we get to chat because I love chatting with all of you and getting your book recommendations. And if you are new here, do me a favor. Take a second and make sure you are following the podcast or subscribed so you don't miss any episodes. I read a ton, I talk to a ton of authors. So there will be more conversations that you find very interesting. All right. But, anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Jonathan Marks about his new book, Let's Be Reasonable. Hello, Jonathan.
1: How are you doing today? Hey, Chris. I'm doing. I'm doing well. My computer seems to think I'm in Seattle, but uh, uh, I'm actually here in uh, the
0: Philadelphia area. And excited about getting rewired. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I randomly stumbled across your book. I can't even remember. It popped up on Twitter, and I was like, "This seems like a really interesting book." And I I checked it out. I binged it. I loved it. So for Everybody out there listening who is unfamiliar with you and your work, can you kind of give us a little bit of your background? And what I always love to know is like, what inspired you to sit down and write this book? Sure.
1: Um, So, well, we already know my name. I'm Jonathan Bartz. I teach at uh, Ursinus College in um, the Philadelphia area, small liberal arts college. I've been teaching for a, a little over 20 years. Uh, my area is is more or less political philosophy. I'm in the political science part. I mostly teach mm-hmm. philosophy courses, uh, Plato to NATO, as they say, uh, in the business. Um, and what inspired me to write this book is uh, Chris frustration
0: <laughs>
1: a- a- and also gratitude. Uh, the, the, the frustration is on, on a few different levels, and I'll try to go quick on this, but uh, frustration with the... Uh, the left liberalism of, of universities, uh, the, the fourth right, left mm-hmm. liberalism of universities the a tendency of, um, colleagues to dismiss, um, worries about the lopsidedness of uh, college campuses, which I think are, are legitimate concerns. I think that yeah. left liberals should actually be concerned about this themselves. Uh, frustration with, uh, my fellow conservatives who seem increasingly, uh, directed toward, uh, a kind of burning down action rather than reform. Mm. There's a portrait out there, um, in which conservatives on campus are being both and oil on the daily. I do think that conservatives face some some problems um, in higher education. I think that portrait is exaggerated and prevents conservatives from playing a constructive role, um, at university. And finally, frustration with the sort of institutional defenders of liberal education, who seem to me to be all over the place. You know, they put up batter after batter. Yeah. You know, so, social justicy, we're entrepreneurial, um, we're interdisciplinary, we're, you know, jobs, jobs, jobs-oriented, we'll get you the skills, we'll get you Yeah. You know, there, there, there's not much of a, of, of a core there, and I don't think that um, it, it's been... Terribly effective. It's hard to know exactly what's going to be effective, but I'm pretty sure it's not that. Um, I, I add a liberal education. I mm-hmm. try to practice liberal education. I'm grateful for liberal education. I want to see it uh, prosper, mm-hmm. um, continue, and, and all the rest of that. And, and that's what I would be to right.
0: Yeah, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's kind of like a, a, a map for like what what conservatives in the educational or higher education can or should do based on, you know, just kind of what you've seen and everything like that. Uh, So it's, it's, is it mainly directed towards like conservative professors or are you hoping like both, both sides, if you will, are going to read it? Like who was the target audience you had in mind when you, when you wrote this? Thanks. Uh, I'm glad you asked that question. Having already <laughs> suggested that my my
1: book is a jam, I can now try to widen the potential audience as much <laughs> as <laughs> possible. But, do it. but 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 in doing so, um, I, I think I'm being true to the spirit of the book. Um, It's not just a a book that's pitched to conservatives or conservative professors, Mm -hmm. um, though that's certainly uh, part of what I'm trying to do um, on the book. It's really pitched to um, all of us who care about the future um, of higher education and the liberal education portion of it. Um, So to people both on and off campus, maybe on campus, I had especially in mind um, folks who may be, Wildly distressed or worried in, in a way that's hard to articulate, you know, uh, maybe some of my colleagues um, in the, um, uh, natural sciences, some, um, for example, or in, in mathematics, you may have concerns about the direction of higher education. We may kind of feel like, you know, that liberal education stuff, that's pretty humanist. Um, I'd better yeah. not get involved. If I say something, we'll get my Uh, head chopped off and I'm not sure exactly what, what I ought to say. So it it tries to, to articulate, um, you know, a a case.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, here's he like I like we we just like met face virtually face to face but I read that book I'm like I respect the hell out of Jonathan Marks and we're going to kind of dive into it and some definitions in a second but you know I'm very liberal right and I see you kind of talking about what you've seen with like conservatives within academia I'm like I wish some liberals would do this too and talk to someone. you know so I'm like why? Why have I or maybe I, I don't know, because you don't know what you don't know. And I don't know if I haven't just haven't come across this, but I see the same thing because like, you know, uh, uh, as somebody who was uh, canceled in 2019, had thousands, hundreds of thousands of strangers just coming after me. Uh, one of the like I was trying to understand. That's why I, when I really got into philosophy like political philosophy, moral philosophy. And I came across uh, you know, uh, the conning of the American mind. And a lot of that is about like kind of the outrage culture on campuses and, you know, more liberal progressive type people, right? But it's it's I haven't seen I haven't seen like a liberal leaning educator really sit down and address this in kind of, I don't know, with as much like tact and stuff. So this is me just kind of uh Telling you how much I love what you did with this book. Thank you. I didn't know you'd be can- you'd been canceled, there, Chris. I got to go. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, I, I might still be toxic. <laughs> I, uh, I,
1: uh, I, I think "Power would the American Mind" is um, in an excellent book, in the, and I think that um, my, my book is in many ways in, in in the same spirit as that book, but it comes at the issues from uh, from from a somewhat different angle, in part because my background is in in, uh, political philosophy and, and both Hyde and Lukidoff look at it. Um, I think mostly through, through a psychological frame, um, you know, John Hyde, because that, that that's his field, mm-hmm. um, Greg Lukidoff because he, um, has great respect, um, who's gained a lot from cognitive behavioral therapy. So, um, uh, my, my angle is different, but, um, yeah. you know, the, their idea that the Telos University is, is truth is, is not so far, um, from what i
0: Yeah. So, so something I, I I wanted to break down and chat about. So uh, we chatted about this just a little bit right before we hopped on, but for the audience out there. So I, I've been like a political nihilist, like my whole life. Like why, why (laughs) care? Why get involved? Nothing matters. Right. And then in 2016, it wasn't just the election of Trump, but just seeing how much people disagreed on different topics and the polarization and all that. So I got really into it. And, you know, once once I learned, I was like, okay, like I I didn't even know what party I, you know, quote unquote, belong to. But as I educated myself and stuff like that, I'm like, okay, so I'm left leaning liberal, you know, whatever. Right. But you, you're a conservative. And I, I read it and Basically, since since I got into this, it seems like we're so polarized, there's not much we agree on and stuff, but I read your entire book and I'm like, well, I agree with like 90% of what this guy is saying. So I thought that would be interesting to kind of dive into. So my question for you is like, what what makes you conservative? Like, I think, like, like I, I'm curious if not only me, but other people, like, do I have the wrong idea of what conservatism actually even means So can you break that down a little? Sure. I, I, I'm happy to talk, um, about, uh,
1: my own take on, on conservatism, mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of strands of it. So it's the it, same is true of liberals too. So it's yeah. easy, I think, to be perplexed about, um, what it is. In fact, I, I just taught a course with them. A left-wing colleague of mine, oh, uh, really? uh, Timmy Napler, who's terrific uh, on the subject of conservatism. He studies it from from a sort of left-wing, mm. you know, sort of no kind of perspective. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I'm interested in it, uh, you know, for other reasons, obviously. But um, mm-hmm. you know, w- one funny thing about conservatism in America is a big strand of it is um, that it seeks to conserve the principles of the American Revolution, roughly speaking. Um, the principles of the declaration and conservatives who were interested in preserving those principles often understand those principles to be basically enlightenment principles. Um, mm. so, uh, for example, Thomas Jefferson writing about the declaration toward the end of his life, um, suggests that the right to the free unbounded exercise of reason, um, will tend to, retrous, um, the principles of the founding tend to ran at it um, the gospel, so to speak, um, of rights throughout the world. Um, so that the kind of conservatism I'm describing that puts a strong premium on the principles of the founding, but also on the idea, um, of enlightenment. At the same time, there's a strand of conservatism that, um, is, is a little suspicious, um, I've reason, especially the capacity, um, of individuals Right, uh, you know fragmentary, partial prejudice, um small, but <laughs> um, yeah. beings to 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 really do well um, to trying to uh, reason from from nothing, so to speak, right to to build up um all of one's principles uh, from scratch mm-hmm. um so in a way, you know simultaneously you've got um, a strong premium on reason. Um, combined with a, a strong sense of, of, just how frail it is, um, how difficult it is to maintain how the, the, when can place a bet on it um, mm-hmm. and have high hopes, but at the same time, one's folks should be at least, um, somewhat limited and, and informed by, um, the, the fragility of roots, uh, the extent to which, uh, each one of us, especially individually, but often we get together in groups and mobs too. Mm -hmm. Um, have a lot of trouble
0: Uh, yeah yeah so so i guess so like so let me see if i'm understanding some of this correctly so when i so one of the things like when i read uh like uh you know how i kind of learned about the differences between uh conservatives and liberals and stuff one of them was the righteous mind from jonathan Haidt, and you know those whole things and i don't know how much you know you agree with those and things i had an interesting conversation the other day with somebody but anyway so like one of the things is like this idea of more like the the like uh the founding principles the traditions like but i'm curious like first am i am i getting that correct or and if i am is it like hey the way they founded this country it should be locked in this place we should follow that and like you know the pro- is progressive like the idea of change and saying like hey the world's changed we need to not be doing what they were talking about a couple hundred years ago like is that is that what it the difference is one of the main ones
1: yeah but I, I think so and I, I would put a um maybe a particular spin on that um conservatives remain um at least the kind of conservative I'm describing um, remain quite attached to the idea of, of individual rights. So uh, that doesn't mean, uh, that we have no interest at all, um, in change, right? Um, yeah. in some sense, enlightenment principles are, 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 built to be self-correcting, um, in some sense. So there is some change, but if you look at, um, uh, progressivism as it begins to develop, um, uh, you know, t- towards the beginning of the 20th century, you see disparaging talk about 18th century rights,
0: uh-huh. um,
1: quote unquote, right? Yeah. Um, and and in this age of um, sort of uh, you know big conglomerates and corporations and groupings, um, individual rights just don't don't adequately um, describe um, what's needed uh, politically speaking. Um, so, since so, so John Dewey writes a book called individualism on Old and new, um, space to essays essays he did, um, for the new Republican in, in which he, he, takes this line, right. You know, we had this whole dumb idea of individualism, but it, it just doesn't fit on um, the times we live in now. And, uh, my kind of conservative, well, not mm. necessarily thinking that individualism is the answer to absolutely everything. Um thinks that to
0: speak disparagingly eighteenth century breaks is is actually quite quite dangerous. got it, so yeah, that that's making more more sense. and uh i i guess one of my my last questions because i think it'll it'll help me if i understood like like some of the the conversations going on right now like i i'm curious if you think like are is this just people like going pure tribalism and not even thinking about like uh political principles and things like that but like uh for example like just covid stuff going on like mask mandates and you know vaccines and stuff like that like what is uh your version of conservatism think about that kind of stuff and you know uh like that's where i'm curious like are you saying like the individuals should be able to make the decision on what they do like whether it's with their body or you know whatever it is i guess that's one of the things or is it more i don't know is it more like economic stuff that we're talking about
1: yeah well you know th- th- that that gets tricky i
0: think yeah. right I mean, you, <laughs> you, you,
1: you see you see conservatives um at odds right over um even things like like vaccine mandates and uh you know i i, I think a lot of uh, the concerns about the uh the vaccine mandates are are, are rooted in, in deep mistrust yeah um, sure. of our of our institutions which you seem to find more um at the moment on the conservative side of the aisle than elsewhere among people define themselves as conservatives but you know, I I don't think a, a principle like but like individualism settles a question like vaccine yeah. mandates, right? People who think that rights are important don't think that they're they're absolute, right? And and yeah. somebody who believes in in a very minimal state, right? Let's say I'm i what you call libertarian, which I think is one of its categories, actually, uh-huh. although it's know, by almost historical accidents, folded into yeah um, the conservative movement in the United States, but and I believe in, you know, what's called the night watchman state, right? The state that just does pretty much the absolute minimum. Okay that state might that state might very well still have some significant public health authority. Mm. Right. So 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 even somebody who thinks, well, you know, the, the state really is for um, you know, defense and uh, you know, the the, the enforcement of the contracts and very minimal things, public health would probably be um on on even uh a libertarian list, to be some libertarians, a libertarian list of um, on you know, what government ought to be doing. So I don't think it's mm. the case that if you're pro liberty, you're against vaccine mandates.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it's interesting. I think so much of this would be resolved with just simple conversations and sharings of ideas. Like I, I wrote a piece the other day because you know that's that's kind of what I hear from the left and the right is like hey we just want to we just want to talk and like we just you know but i i i never see it happen i see people like uh going and doing interviews with uh with somebody where their audience is Definitely going to agree with them, you know what I mean? And it's difficult. I've actually found uh, a few, like for example, uh, Glenn, Laurie, and uh, and uh, John McWhorter. I've I've been binging some of their stuff over the weekend and stuff. And and it's interesting. They they've had some interesting conversations with people who they disagree with, like politically or ideology, uh, ideologically and stuff like that. But yeah, it just seems like I don't know. I have a lot of conversations with people about how do we have more conversations. Like I'm sitting here and I'm like. I could probably talk to you like for hours, just, just throwing back and forth ideas. And uh, when I went to visit Florida a couple of years ago, one of my friends, he's like super libertarian. And I was just talking to him and just trying to understand. I'm like, what do you think about healthcare? This was all before COVID, you know, <laughs> who just talking and stuff. I'm like, I wasn't getting pissed and just like, Oh, this guy's so dumb. So, uh But what I'm curious about too, so I I think I need a definition for this as well, or maybe it'll help the audience too. Like, what do you mean when you, when you say liberal education, can you kind of define that? Like you said, like, you know, you, you, you teach and believe in liberal education. Like, how's that work? What's, what's that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to talk about that. Can I take me just, just just a
1: minute? I don't want to exhaust, uh. Uh, listener time or patience, but just something oh, you just said. Um, maybe want to respond a little bit because um, I I believe at least in part with, with what you just said, right? Mm. That, um, that 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 people talking to people is is quite important and um, not done enough. And in fact, uh, I, I think on campus, right, um, a, a lot of the tension on campus. You know, some of it has to do with, quote unquote colonization. But some of it has to do with actually just, just not really knowing how to approach <laughs> conversations, right? lack of practice yeah. um, at, at, at that kind of thing. Um, so I think that's right. Um, and, and but I think the other side of it, and you mentioned John Height before, and this goes to the limits of reason question, I think this is less true on campus than, than in some other places, but I think, you know, Hyde is right. That, that, you know, oftentimes maybe it, most of the time. Right, what our mind is doing is rationalizing positions we've already got. So mm-hmm. it's difficult simply to say, okay, w- let's sit down and talk without also doing some digging to figure out, all right, w- w- what's the underlying concern here? Mm-hmm. Right, it might be it might be something underneath the argument um, that's that's being made. Um, so 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 I'm actually quite sympathetic with. Um, in spite of my emphasis on reasonableness, which we will talk about, I'm quite sympathetic <laughs> with those who say, "Well, you know, it's not a philosophy seminar either, right? That is to yeah. say that we're not going to um, reform uh, or, or resolve our problems and simply by say, let's make things more like, um, like, let, let, like a philosophy seminar." Well, I get your question about um, mm. about liberal education. What is it? So, like everything else, there's disagreement about it, but I think what what everybody agrees about is, you know, where where the term comes from, liberal education means education for freedom. Um, And that usually has two different meanings, right? One is more or less political, right? How do we educate people to live in a a free society, right? Or whatever segment of a society is free. Um, so how do we educate free people in that sense, politically speaking, And that there's a sort of transpolitical political me, right. Um, um, how do we educate people to be reasonable, say in such a way that there, there's a standard above any given, um, political regime by which one might, might judge, well, how's my regime doing
0: today? Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, since there's a political and transpolitical um, meaning here, um, I think, and we just discussed this a little bit in the U S context, these things run relatively, uh, neatly together, at least more neatly together than in most um kinds of politics. Because again, Jefferson says, and he's not just speaking for himself, uh, this is a pretty old idea that that, you know, the, the principles of, of the declaration are, are meant to be subjected to scrutiny, right? Close mm-hmm. rational scrutiny, so that in a way, more reasoning more better, right? Even from a political standpoint. Mm-hmm. Whether that's true or not, right, I, I'm not going to um to say for sure, but there's a sense in which the political and transpolitical meaning of liberal education kind of go together mm-hmm. um, in some respects, at least the te- potential tension between this um, mm-hmm. I- in a policy built on, let's for shorthand call them, in light of the principles. Mm-hmm. Now, my particular understanding of, of liberal education is that as my book title indicates, right, uh, we're looking to um, shape reasonable people. And the reasoning behind that is basically. Uh, we're not free, right? To go back to the root meaning, we're, we're not free, right? If the things that we think, right, are based on unexamined prejudices, mm. um, which they generally are because, you know, who are we? We're partial beings, right? I draw on John Locke, right? A 17th century political yeah. philosopher, very influential um, in the American context, who says, among many other things, we see but in part, and we know, but in part, and therefore it's no wonder that we conclude not right, I right? think this is 17th century wish right um, <laughs> from, from, from our partial views. So we need to correct that. Right. And, and Locke's antidote is what he calls comprehensive enlargement of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and what does that mean? Well, um, it means that we have to look at, um, you know, the best representative, um, arguments, opposing arguments. Right. About various important matters um, and, and not even just the best arguments, right? We have to um you know, be acquainted with people, even people we might imagine. Even if we're wrong about that, we yeah. imagine they fall short of us in some matter, they're not as clever as us. Nonetheless, our experience is so narrow that their experience might correct ours too. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to listen to them. We want to be mindful of the limits of the um, sciences that we study. The methods and approaches that we're familiar with um the books that we read uh we might want to read some old books because part of our narrowness is the narrowness of time, yeah, if we can afford it, we might want to travel because part of our narrowness is the narrowness of place. um but, but this is basically um the kind of um education I have
0: yeah a- absolutely and and I couldn't agree more like i I had this thing like one of my one of my concerns or how I try to be a better thinker and things like that is like, I don't want to get stuck in a bubble. Like it's so easy to just read or watch things that just totally agree with you. Like I go out of my way. Like if, if I find out like a a person that I assume I just completely disagree with, if they write a book, I'm like, I'm going to read that book. I'm going to see, because I feel a book with hundreds of pages if if that person doesn't fit in all their ideas within those pages like that's their fault right but uh yeah for example like not a fan of dave rubin read his book uh i will say i tried to read uh dinesh D'Souza's uh book about socialism and it was i was like this is way off base like from <laughs> from just like you know factual standpoint but but you uh, tried yeah but i tried yeah i read uh God, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he wrote a book, The Moral Argument for Fossil Fuels. Uh, he <laughs> debates a lot of people about, you know, that stuff. But anyways, yeah, I read him and I might not agree, but I'm like, I want to understand. Because like you said, our knowledge is very limited. Uh, like, I have my experience, right? I like just to categorize myself, like I'm a I'm a half black guy who looks white, right? I grew up with an alcoholic mom. I was a drug addict until 2012. You know, like my experience is going to be different than an Asian woman on the other side of the country, you know, who grew up in a suburb, you know, or whatever, or somebody in another country. So I try to read as much as possible because I'm like, huh, that is something I never would have thought about. It never would have even crossed my mind you know what i mean yeah but and, and i think that's that's exactly right and
1: um i, I think you know oftentimes to, you know go back to the, the higher education context for a minute mm-hmm. um, professors are, are quite mindful of this right and, mm-hmm. and they talk about that kind of thing professor's administrator is important to gadget yeah, or a lot of different points of view and so on um, but at least when it comes to ideological questions they're quite comfortable Right to to to, to overgeneralize.
0: Um, Do you have you know, like mean, an example. You have an example of that, like just like just I, yeah, yeah. D- 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 in terms of the the comfort um, and and the and the kind of generalizations that come to mind and stuff. Like I'm curious. yeah. So
1: always, let me start with, with 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 the comfort level. So it, it's okay. a long standing complaint uh, of conservatives at um, universities and outside of universities too. Um, that there's a real lopsidedness, um, in terms of, um, who comes to university to be a professor. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, at least at, at last count, there's was a pretty large survey of university faculty for higher education research Institute does. And you know, what it shows is right now conservatives are perhaps, you know, 12.7% of, um, university faculty, roughly equal to those who, who define themselves as on the far left. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so any conservative far left, roughly equal in the university setting, but by far, um, the largest group, um, is, is liberals. And what you see over the course of time, right. And Samuel Abrams, um, has a neat, um, chat on this. Um, what you notice if you kind of track it out over time from the seventies to the present, the ratio of liberals to conservatives just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. So that when, when I was, um, even starting out in college back in the dark ages, I think it was 1987, maybe it was two to one. Today, it's four to one. Yeah. Now, now, if you ask a professor about that, generally speaking, they're not going to care about that, right? They'll say something to the effect of, well, you know, that's probably because some conservatives are, or um, you know, not, not that open to questioning stuff. Um, where it might be that they think, well, you know, conservatives are more interested in in, in money, that's not where the money. And so basically, conservatives are stupid and greedy, you know, <laughs> so so it's not really a problem. But even if you thought and, and, and there is a version of this art, which I think is actually true. Um but even if you thought that well, there's a pipeline problem, there aren't enough conservatives kind mm. of come again um to have anything like the representation you've got in the general population. It seems to me that you still ought to be a little bit concerned, right? Because you're, I'm surrounded by people who sort of think, roughly speaking, uh, the way I do. I do about politics, um, and, and that kind of influences a lot of things, right? Especially nowadays, you know, identity is more and more often defined in terms of ideology. You know, what books do I think are worth reading? Mm -hmm. Um, what speakers do I think it's worth having to campus? What students do I view as kind of heroic and which ones do I view as nuisances? What kinds of courses do I think that's important to teach? Right. All of these are things that, you know, are likely to be influenced or couldn't be influenced by our ideologies. And like I said, otherwise professors are quite sensitive to the idea that, you know, maybe, you know, this is too provincial or maybe somebody thinks this because they're they're white or maybe somebody thinks this professor from a rural area and they kind of often think well my, my students present groups right they're going to come in here um and, and and we're going to be able to to help them overcome the narrowness of their experience but when it's pointed out to them yeah. well your experience might be kind of narrow. yeah that's funny
0: yeah yeah it's so that that's something that that was like one of the so one of the main reasons i want to have you on to talk about this because i've heard about this statistic of conservative versus liberal professors and how that gap is widened and here's here's what i find most interesting so you know when you have like all these like debates on like identity stuff and like you know the woke stuff and all that so topics just off the top of my head you have like you know uh there's a lot of talk about racism there's a lot of talk about sexism and misogyny and stuff so for example uh, that guy from Google, I just had his name off the top of my head, but anyways, he wrote that manifesto, right, about why there aren't as many women in, you know, this this field, right? And he dives into like some te- uh, biological reasons and stuff. Huge thing, and Google's like, they they listen to the people freaking out and they got rid of them, right? And it turned into this huge story, right? Uh, when it comes to like racism, when there's you know low uh, rates of you know black people in a in a job or a position or a school, they say, you know, well, well, maybe women don't want this job and maybe black people don't want this job or whatever it is. Right. So then I hear this conversation about conservative uh, lack of conservative professors. And I'm thinking, like, I try to imagine, I'm like, who's the person that would side with these arguments about, you know, the the issues with race or sex? Like, I, I imagine more conservative people saying, yeah, maybe women just don't want to do that job. Maybe there's not as many women construction workers because they don't want to do that. Right. And then when I think of this lack of conservative professors, I'm like, well, wouldn't that kind of be the same thing? But at the same time, too. You know, uh, I think I think all of this is more nuanced and it's a case by case basis. Like when you do have these college campuses who are firing professors or not backing their professors like I'm liberal, but I am huge about like free speech and I'd be scared as hell to teach on a campus. So I'm just curious, your like, have you ever sat back and thought about these kind of things where, you know, conservatives might agree like, hey, women just don't want that job or black people don't want that job or, you know, but is it? Different, same, am I missing something?
1: Yes, yeah, so, so I've got um so there are a couple of pieces of this so okay I'll, I'll talk I'll talk about one and then maybe we can talk about the other two, i will see what I think the two pieces are, okay, um, one piece is um so are conservatives uh not well represented at colleges and universities cause of their own preferences right so, mm-hmm. so just as you might say, uh maybe women aren't attracted to some occupations plus their preferences, so also maybe. There's some reason that conservatives just are um to get a PhD. I'll come back to that in a second. But, um, you know, there's a second piece of evidence that that or, or second issue here, which is just how bad are things for consumers on campus? Should they be frightened? So I'm going to take up the first issue first. I hope we get to the second one also. No, oh,
0: no, I want to, uh, I want to, we have a little bit more. I would. I would gladly just break down each of these because this has been on my mind for months and I'm like. Jonathan is the man I need to talk to about this, so, so break it down for me. <laughs> I, I'm your man, Chris. Um, so the, the, the,
1: there are three leading explanations of why there aren't that many consumers on campus. Um, one is discrimination, right? Um, and there's not much evidence of that, but um, there, there is some indirect evidence, or at least a couple of studies that just sort of ask professors straight out, Right. I mean, straight out. So this isn't something subtle or hidden or something like that, Mm -hmm. just straight out, you know, it's survey. So, you know, do you think if you had a couple of job candidates and other things were equal, uh, would you choose the one who you agreed with? Ideologically speaking, instead of the one you did not right. That that, that's a straightforward, right. Indication of discrimination. Like the tiebreaker for me is going to be, do I agree with this person's ideology or not, and something like 30 plus percent professors in a couple of different surveys, not very large, so I wanna make too much of this, but a couple yeah. of surveys said, well yes, I actually would be willing to discriminate, right? That, that's sort of the need for the measure, willingness to discriminate. So oh huh, uh,
0: that's, that's interesting that people would uh admit to that and I, I hope you don't mind it but I kind of want to like pause in between and ask some questions. So so with with this kind of survey uh, is this interviewing both liberal and conservative professors? And they both say, like, I would hire somebody who's more ideo- ideologically aligned with me? Precisely. That is to so, say that,
1: that liberals are more inclined to discriminate than conservatives. Both liberals and conservatives are inclined to discriminate. But there are so few conservatives on campus that if this discrimination were actually having a real world effect, yeah. right, liberals are just more of a position to do the discriminating because there's yeah. so many more.
0: So. Here, here's my question. When I imagine, again, like going back to imagining the type of person who would say this, like, if I imagine a conservative saying they discriminate, right, and then just, you know, they're, they 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 forget that we're talking about this. And I come up to them, the you know, later on, and I'm like, hey, uh, this company over here, we found out that they're not hiring people with uh, black names like Deshaun or, you know, Makayla or, you know, whatever, right? Uh, do you think that's discrimination? I would feel like that same person who is saying that there's discrimination would also say, no, that's not discrimination. They were probably just less qualified. Do you see what I mean? Like, that's what I'm curious. And like, I, I want you to correct me if I'm just completely off base, but it seems like there's dissonance and the left does this too, but I'm trying to understand more, more of this.
1: Yeah. So, so maybe I'll talk about dissonance on, on, on the left side for a little, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. That, that there's dissonance on both sides. Yeah. Um, I just, just right now, the, the other example is, is coming to mind. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there was th- something, I don't know who came up with this, um, term, but I first came across in the writings of a psychologist by the name of E. Joseph. I'm not mm. sure if i pronounce pronouncing his name, right. J U S S I M. And right. he talks about the phenomenon of, of selective rigor, okay. and what he means by selective rigor is basically, you know, if I see a study that has conclusions with which I disagree, right, I'm going to look at that really closely. Yeah, right. Apply really tough standards to it. Whereas when I see something I basically agree with or I'm mutual about it, I won't. Right. That that that's selective rigor. So I, I think this happens in in studies, you know, like this. Right. So for example. Um, if there were a survey that simply showed willingness to discriminate, mm-hmm. right, um, against a minority group, right, somebody on the left might not ask, well, you know, does that actually have real world consequences mm-hmm. or not? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but um, you know, it it seems to me, on the other hand, if somebody sees, well, it, it looks like there's willingness to discriminate against conservatives. They're more likely to ask that question. Well, well, can you show there there real world consequences? Yeah. And by the way, it's very hard to show there are real world consequences as to say, I don't know of any good evidence mm-hmm. that this plays out, um, in, in the real world. Um, nonetheless, I look at the evidence and I guess partly because I think we'll it probably use play God in the world in some way. Yeah. Right. Even if it's hard to put your measure on it. So, so I'm, I'm probably selective for myself.
0: It's interesting, just even you mentioning that, like now I'm just, after asking you and hearing your response, I'm thinking of 50 million ways that, you know, uh, my, my side will get that same dissonance. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm so fascinated with psychology and human behavior, because we all, we all struggle with the same issues, but we, we have this like, uh, uh, like biased blind spot, right? Where we, we don't see it in ourselves or just like, okay, that, that person's doing it, but, but I would never, you know, I would never look at this study or these numbers in this uh, bad way. I think uh, another researcher who does stuff, I'm going to look up uh, that Jessum guy you mentioned. I haven't heard of him, but uh, I don't know if you've looked into the work of uh, Daniel Kahan. He's done some stuff about like motivated reasoning and uh, research around that where he like shows up like uh, news articles from like the left or right. I think it was back during like the Bush days. But yeah, it's more of like a human thing. And I think that's what my my life's mission is to just educate people like, hey, we're, we're all doing the same thing now. Let's just acknowledge it and have some conversations, you know?
1: Right. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I think there, there, there's a bit of pretending that goes on, um, in arts. I mean, it's not complete pretending, right. That is to say that, that we actually have pretty strong professional safeguards, you know, we're well-trained. We're supposed to know this about ourselves. But mm. I, I think, and, and in fact, I think for example, that, that, you know, if I teach marks in a course, which I sometimes do. I should think I could do it quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there are liberal professors who can teach, you know, a conservative star, say, Kayak, can do it quite well. Well, yeah, because we're professionals. <laughs> yeah. Most of my colleagues are, are professionals, but they nonetheless tend to underestimate, right, the extent to which nonetheless, mm. you know, and, and I'm, I'm like this too. Maybe you won't well trained enough that you're not, right? I see an article and I don't like the conclusion. I take a hard look at, it, you know, and I see an article. I do like the conclusion. Maybe I don't as much. Yeah, you know? not so, as much,
0: really. Yeah, um,
1: you know, and, and I, I I know that about myself, and I suspect it's true of most faculty members. Certainly, a lot, all the way back, you know, yeah. in the 17th century, right? And his book is um, um, on the conduct of the understanding is one of them, and it's just a compendium of all the errors, a mm-hmm. part of a compendium of all the errors people make. That that alerted, as so he would put it, alerted. Right, people who really are well educated are really no less susceptible to. Oh, yeah. Sometimes even more susceptible to because of our sort of rash overconfidence. Yeah. That uh, other folks are. And again, we're very good at spotting at other people. Yeah. Right. Locke says that too, not just alerted, right? We're, we're very good at noticing the flaws in other people's arguments. We tend to look at them as if we had no biases of our own. Oh, we're yeah. not good at subjecting our own opinions to close scrutiny. And, mm-hmm. and that's why I think that, that even if it's not discrimination, again, I, I don't think there's much evidence that it is. And I'll talk in a minute about other factors that I think mm-hmm. that the relative absence of conservatives on campus, you should still be concerned if you're surrounded yourself by people who, roughly speaking, agree with you about really important matters that, that, that may influence, right, at least in certain subjects, how you teach, how you relate to students, what you think is important, and so on. I mean, mm-hmm. over 80 percent, right, of faculty members serving in some survey described before to say that, you know, helpful where students make social change, right, is at least somewhat important to me as a, as a professor. Well, you know, what kind of social change, mm. right? That's something that's likely to be colored by word and sense mm. um, ideologically
0: yeah no it's 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 really interesting and and just a personal rule of thumb if i if i think i have an amazing idea or if i read something that i really agree with i'm like okay like i i will personally like for example if there's a topic if there's just a topic in the news or whatever and my side all seems to be agreeing like i'll go see what like ben shapiro is saying about it right because if nothing else they'll point out something that I might be missing because, you know, it's almost like our kid, right? Like our kids are perfect. There's nothing wrong with it, you know? So sometimes that's like our ideas too. And I'm like, wait, I need someone to judge this harshly because that's the only way we we grow. Like, you know, if I, you know, if I'm practicing cooking and if all my girlfriend says, is like, oh, you're the best cook ever. How am I ever going to get better if she's just, you know, agreeing with me all the time, you know? So that's, that's just my personal practice. Do you, Do you, I want to jump into those other explanations, but real quick, like, what is, what do you do like to kind of check yourself, right? Since you acknowledge this, what's a practice I could take from a, a man with such wisdom like yourself, what tools do you use?
1: Um, well, know nothing that I think you'd find surprising. Um, (laughs) We're talking through the beginning of this conversation, Mm -hmm. right? Of, um. My, my team teaching of a class, um, with my friend, Tony, who's on on the left and yeah. has a very different vision of, um, of, uh, of conservatism. Taught a class on conservatism together. thought, well, I'll probably learn something um, yeah. from working with them. And, and, and indeed, I believe I did. Um, I, I write in the book, you know, uh, um, you know, put in a shorthand, um, which, you know, in a way is not, not very scholarly, but just for, for the sake of, um, quickness yeah you know, i'm kind of a pro-israel guy um <laughs> um so i have a chapter in my book yeah, about yeah, yeah, the yeah. politics of israel um on campus and uh, one thing i talked about uh in in that um in that chapter is that yeah you know, i found myself at odds with somebody else um on campus who's running our goal who um you know i actually don't entirely know the exactly what his position on his zionism are but i i know he's connected to organizations that are um anti-zionist um okay. and, as you might put it which which is to say um think in a way that the whole foundation of the state of israel is a majority jewish state it is a mistaken um endeavor so we're at odds of something and um you know we, we kind of fought it out and then it died down and then we we had to lunch you know and, and uh, i remember we suggest it and said well what can we do to um sort of you know work this through and help our students work it through um so we talked together just a session on israeli elections then we taught um a small meeting group on the book called my Promised linen by ari shavit and then we taught a class together um about about zionism yeah so you know the 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 shorthand explanation is i tried to That's kind of what you do on your podcast i think um I try to find people with whom I disagree and, you know, have, have deep conversations with them, um, about it. Yeah. Um, that is, you know, at length over the course of time and some gaps, I have many friends, um, on the left and, um, yeah, it's pretty easy to do <laughs> yeah. in an academic um, environment. So, um, that I think is, is, um, an important strategy, right? You can do it also by, uh, you know, but by reading, yeah. right. Um, and, and try to read, you know, aware of your likelihood to practice, um, selective rigor, there's no substitute for, um, you know, so sort of Daniel Kahneman, you know, being, 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 yeah, yeah. thinking fast and slow, you know, yeah. and he has his idea of, you know, the water cooler conversation. Mm. He says, we're, we're not good, um, at combating our biases all alone. Um, and so it's helpful to have kind of a norm in which, which people are just kind of talking about uh, this problem or issue. And, um, I think it's good to try to cultivate an environment, um, like that. Um, yeah. so you know, I, I talk about this a little bit and I don't want to go off the rails here, but you asked me about liberal education. I talked about being, you know, reasonable, mm-hmm. but I, I meant by that. And I didn't get a chance to talk about this, not just, you know, you know, a, a set of skills, you know, or, or a set of practices, but, but, but I also think of it, um, Um, as kind of a way of of operating in the world. John Locke, um, who I've mentioned a a few times already, right, says um, in one of his books, he says, there cannot be anything so misbecoming. Anyone who pretends to be a rational creature is not to yield to plain reason, the conviction of clear arguments. And what what I think that captures is, you know, that, that will say be reasonable everywhere frustrated and desperate, or whether we're just trying to set out a norm, we're talking, we don't really mean rush up on your logic or or get Mm -hmm. skills. We mean something more like, you know, let's try to figure out, um, you know, based on what we know, um, what conclusions we can draw from those things. And, you know, let's not puff ourselves up. Um, Let's not, you know, play around. Uh, Playful is sometimes good. You know, let's not boost our tribe. Yeah. Right, but, but let's just do that. And, and and I think that to kind of adopt that as your your intellectual religion, so to speak,
0: or yeah. your academic
1: religion on a college campus could, could be a big help. And right? it is kind of a it is kind of a group effort. Right? It's hard to do it yourself, which is why it's, it's so important, it seems to me, in our institutions sort of go into education to try to adopt this as, as a wide norm, rather mm-hmm. than simply say, Well, I'm just gonna try to practice it real hard by myself. I mean, you might have some success at that, but um, it helps to be surrounded um in a situation which people might potentially hold you accountable or or notice when you're not doing that. that, that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I don't I don't know. Like uh I, I, I say this like uh, I always say this jokingly, but also not jokingly. It's one of the reasons I'm so grateful uh you know, uh, for my, my past and my addiction, because when I got sober, I had to, I had to do that. I had to surround myself with people who would call me out, say, I'm not being reasonable, if you will, or I'm not looking at, at this. And it's just, it, it became part of my foundation. So for the last nine years, it's something that I've adopted to other aspects of my life, and by the way, I, I I I took so many notes when you were diving into John Locke in the book too, because uh, I've heard of him, but I'm not as familiar with his work. And I'm like, this guy sounds interesting. Like you had a whole section on like Locke talking about how to be a better reader. I'm like, well, I read a ton, so I should be reading this down, But I loved it. So so what's what's the next what's the next kind of uh, theory for why not as many conservative professors?
1: Yes, yeah, so, so you could certainly stop me Neither one, but I'll note that the, the next two are basically oh. you know, pipeline That, and, and by that, I mean uh, there just aren't that many conservatives who want to get PhDs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and there's actually truth to that. In other words, that seems to be right. Um, so the, the, there is a um, huge survey, which I use in my book a number of times the Higher Education Research Institute Freshman Survey. It's run right out of uh, UCLA. Um, but it's not just a survey of UCLA, it's a survey of, of a very large number of institutions of different types, huge number of students surveyed every year. They've been at for over 50 years. It, it, it's a great survey. But one of the things they ask people about are, you know, so are you thinking about getting a PhD? <laughs> it turns out that, you know, uh, people on the far left, oh, a lot of them are <laughs> interested in getting a PhD and liberals are much more likely To want to get a PhD that the servers are right right from right from the get-go. So before they've walked through the door, you might say. Um, they're already um thinking, you know, maybe I don't want a PhD. And there are two leading explanations, at least I know of, um, of that phenomenon. There are probably more. I'm not an expert in this area. Um, but one explanation is um different values. That this is sort of a uh, I, I'm modest and, and, and sort of less, less mean version, of a less self flattering, I'd say, the academy version of. Well, the reason teachers don't want PhDs is because they're stupid and greedy, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but you know, here it's more that they they have different priorities, and you know, the Higher Education Research Institute survey doesn't ask about all priorities, right? They just give a mm, list. Yeah. So it's Hard to know how much this means, but it does turn out that conservative respondents are more interested. Um, and making a lot of money and less interested, at least for the last, um, I saw, right. Um, less interested in developing a meaningful philosophy of life Yeah. right now. now I don't know that that's a for pursuing a PhD, but let's not worry about that. Let's just say that indeed conservatives and liberals do seem to have, I have different priorities on average, and so that might be affecting right. Their desire to get a PhD. Yeah. Second explanation is that, um, uh, Colleges and universities are sort of sort of left tight, right? And and what I mean by that, and uh, I i did not make this up. I'm drawing it from another um whose name is just at the moment slipping my mind. But um but um you know the analogy is basically, you know, why if you asked a guy, do you want to go to nursing? Right? Uh, might a guy say, well, no, I'm not really interested And that's because the the profession is sort of gender types.
0: Yeah. Still oh, I mean, I maybe see what less you're saying. so today, but yeah. still
1: gender type. So also, right to the institution of um, of um, academia, it, it is left-typed, right? Probably Got partly it. for bad reasons, probably for good reasons too. Um, mm. So again, before they they get in the door, um, they're kind of not so sure um, that they want to go in. I don't think we know, right? As to say, I've read some research yeah. on walls. It seems like discrimination. Yeah, there's probably something to it. Different values. Yeah, there's probably something to it. Left-typing. Yeah, there's probably something to that too, but. I, I think we don't really know, basically what I would want to say is that again, even if it's a pipeline problem, mm-hmm. that we usually don't then stop the conversation. Right. So people are always talking about this respect to, um, um, say, you know, women in physics or why aren't there more African-American professors? Somebody will always point out, usually it's somebody on the right, but not always there's a pipeline problem. Yeah. Right. Um, and then the answer says, well, we better do something about that pipeline problem, man, because it's not acceptable yeah. right, that we have that situation. I, I don't want to analogize these things, right? They're, they're not the same, right? And not having yeah. consumers on campus is not the same as not having black people on campus, right? Those are two very different things. Yeah. But nonetheless, right? It's not a back to say, well, there's a pipeline problem, so <laughs> whatever.
0: Yeah, I think like uh, just my my remedial knowledge of this stuff and like looking at it, like I like when I think of the conservative, the lack of conservative professors, I, I picture a pipeline problem. But that's where like, I like talking with people like you and now I want to do even more research because I'm aware of all my biases, right? Like I, even though I try to read from, you know, people I disagree with, I know a lot, I've read a ton of books on just like, biases and prejudice and all these other things. Right. So I'll look at, you know, the black community or how women are treated or whatever. But then then I'm recognizing my biases, because if I imagine like typical conservative, right, I think of white dude in the South, you know, and stuff like that. I think of family owned businesses. I think of truck drivers. I think of people who fight for fossil fuels and working in a coal mine. Right. And I think about how that person grew up. And when you're talking about the survey, like, does that person want to get a Ph.D.? but on the other hand too would i afford them the same kind of uh these ideas for like i would for you know other groups right like are they just not being presented with these options are they you know are there, is there something i'm missing so now i want to you know after you know we finish this i'm going to go do, do some research because <laughs> because it's not fair of me to think like well black people are more likely to you know uh be uh in uh, these neighborhoods with worse schools and not have as many opportunities and da-da-da-da-da. And it's it's it seems silly of me to think like, oh well, you know, conservatives, they just, you know, they're all about, you know, family values and family run businesses and they they like hard work and like, you know, physical labor and just those kind of stereotypes. Like that, that doesn't make sense. And those are the types of ways that I try to combat these things and look at it and figure out what's what's really going on. Because I think like you said too, I think if you took a hundred, you could probably split it up, and maybe you'll have like fifty percent over here, twenty percent over here, and you know, for each of those different theories, that's kind of what I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's. I, I think that, that that's what I would guess too. I I don't think discrimination plays a large role, but I, mm-hmm. I, I will say that you know, just speaking personally, right, uh, how I operate, um, the job market is so bad that. <laughs> In my field for PhDs, my, my typical reaction when somebody comes in and says, I want a PhD is to talk about it, right? Don't do that, right? <laughs> Kid, don't make the same mistake I made. And then uh, I'm joking. I don't think it was a mistake. It actually, job satisfaction actually was quite high. And my job says that was pretty high too. But yeah. right, the job market is even worse than it was when I, when I went in and it was pretty bad then. So you know, if I encounter a student who's encountering sort of the regular job market, and then there's there's, there's even you know, a chance that maybe, you know, like they wrote, you know, an op-ed for a conservative paper and that might be found out, you know, that there are even, you know, even if it might be a tiebreaker, right. Even if there Mm -hmm. might be, you know, one faculty member, a committee might have closer chances, you know, I, I I worry about them. You know what I mean? I, I mean, if they said, well, well, I'm a conservative, I'm thinking about going in, I might discourage them even a bit more which is unfortunate, but 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 if I were doing it would be because I want to be honest about how difficult the job market is. One, mm-hmm. and then two, how you know there might be this extra obstacle, may not be very large, right? But the job market is so bad, right? That might be enough to sort of sort of tip the tip the scales. Yeah. I mean, so, so even discrimination is not playing a very large role. It's it's still it still might matter.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, it's 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 definitely interesting. I I you know, I, I recently uh spoke with uh uh, another author of an upcoming book, and you know talking about how just uh, the New york Times for for example, like getting out of education for a second, they haven't they they like didn't publish any articles from anybody who voted for Trump, right? Like they just didn't do it, and it's like, okay, you know, but on college campuses with the kind of you know and and I know we're running out of time, and like you 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 cover like safetyism and the microaggressions and the outrage culture and stuff, but these are very real issues too, so like. I 1000 percent know that in some cases discrimination would probably play a role because for example, you've heard stories of like students, right? Who are afraid to talk about their political views for fear that the entire class is gonna turn on them or the cut camp. You know what I mean? So I can only imagine being a professor and like you're teaching and you're just, you know, especially like in during election season. But uh yeah, so it it's a lot of things. And and I guess that comes to one of my my Final questions, because your book is about being reasonable, shaping reasonable people, mainly in higher education. But. Like, I'm a father, my son just started his first day of seventh grade, he's 12 years old, right? So he's a student, probably going to college, right? So I'm wondering about young people, uh, young adults on college campuses and adults like what are some ways. And of course, everybody's going to go get your book because you outlined some of this stuff. But like on a broader spe- uh, spectrum, like what can we all do to be more reasonable people? Like if you had to give one tip, is it reading more from diverse views, having conversations in person? What is it? Well, maybe I'll just give, just give one
1: tip that um, that I haven't already talked about, whether given this one tip and... Um, I, I, I'll, I'll do it, if you don't mind a little bit more time. Let's. I'll, I'll go, do it by way of the story, or a story about myself. I'll, I'll give you the line. The, the tip is try not to meet people that you have an opportunity to meet face to face. In terms of mm. you know, what you read in the newspaper about what's going on in culture, and here's my story. Um, in 2015, I think it was, I wrote a, a book review, a very good book by Jonathan Zimmerman um, um, on college campuses. I'm not remembering the title, but it's a very good book, and Jonathan Zimmerman himself. Uh, so worth talking to, but um anyway, I started out with with you know a kind of sardonic, light, lightly mocking picture of uh student protests that were going on at, at a certain campus, and mm. I think this was twenty fifteen, so things weren't exactly quiet on my campus. that was a year in which protests were oh, just kind yeah. of raging across um campuses and um so I kind of thought, well, I published it's The Wall Street Journal, circulation's pretty wide, somebody's probably going to see it. And maybe I'll get a call from the administration and that, that'll be bad, you know, so on. And maybe students will slip me notes under my door or something that happened to somebody later on, uh, Sam Labrums. But the um, I, I did get a call um, ah. from the administration. Maybe it was an email or inside as well. it oh, was <laughs> in, in student affairs that said, you know, we've got, we've got this discussion group going at student affairs and we're just interested in talking about, um, this, we've been talking about free speech on campus. And so, you know, we, we, are going to have them read this, uh, review your wrote, like you had come in and participate in the discussion. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that, they, they weren't calling to say, you know, you better you know, gather up your things, and put them in a box or watch your back or don't write Stuff like that. <laughs> but, um, but, um, invite me to, um, the conversation. Now, if I try kind to of read what people say about people in. And especially in student-facing administration, right? I keep mentioning this guy's name, Samuel Abrams. He's worth talking to, mm-hmm. listening to He's a political scientist. But he did a survey of student-facing administrators. By student-facing, just people like, you know, in residence life who are handling oh, okay. housing stuff, for example. People are sitting in their office making decisions for actually interacting on the day-to-day with students. They're actually much more liberal, at least this one survey, than even faculty members. So I kind of might think if I read all this stuff about safety as a and, protests and mm. so on, if I say the wrong thing, these people are going to, you know, or get the cauldron and throw me in and you know, yeah. uh, see how I squeal. And, and, you know, it, maybe that's true of <laughs> some student facing administrators, but, um, you have to kind of notice the people who are right there, rather than meeting something somewhere, they'd be okay. So they're like that. Yeah. Then. I mean, I think the same is true for students, right? We live in a very more polarized environment. Somebody hears somebody is Republican, they instantly think racist, right? Somebody hears somebody's a liberal, they think I better watch what I say. And in some yeah. sense, you know, probably when you don't know somebody, you do have to watch what you say a little bit. But but you you need to be open to. Um, the idea that you then learn things from people face to face and not be too moved by what you read in in surveys or in sensationalistic accounts of bad things yeah. going on on campus. These things do go wrong, right? They're not made they up. But yeah. right? I, by, by any means. But um but they're, they're, there's more of a shot, I think, at um actually learning something if if you don't assume, right, yeah. that the person that you could interact with is somebody who's looking to slit your throat.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I, couldn't agree more. Like I'm a pretty introverted guy. Like I can, you know, I do uh, podcasts. I had a YouTube channel. I've done groups when I was working at a rehab in front of people. But for the most part, I like to stay to myself and stuff. But like, I'll, I'll you tell seem you this. very shy. <laughs> like when it's one-on-one, like I don't even think about the people who are going to be listening to this, but like. This this podcast and just talking with such a diverse group of people, just so many professors and scientists and philosophers and journalists and and stuff like like I I thought I'm like pretty open minded, but just so many just things I assume about people like you're talking about, like, no, not everybody's going to slit your throat. Like I, I, I have come across that, fortunately, not in, in any recorded conversation, but like I, I'm learning. Uh, at the ripe age of thirty-six, I'm learning the value of conversations and not assuming the worst. Like getting to know them, getting to talk to them, and stuff. Because you know that that's the thing. Like I think about how I I spent most of my life not even recognizing that politics exist, and I got along with a lot of people. So <laughs> so it only makes sense that you know there's there's a good chance that I could still get along with a lot of people. And and yeah, that's just kind of my hope is that more people. Don't make these assumptions and just slap on labels and just be like, oh, if, if you're, uh, you know, uh, conservative, you probably have all these other characteristics. If you're liberal, you probably have. It's like, well, how about we talk, get to know each other, then see where we agree and disagree, and then we go from there. You know what I mean? So Precisely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, so I love it. So, so Jonathan, thank you so much for chatting about your book. I I loved it. And I'm not kidding you. There's a few books where I'm like, I'm going to read this again. Yours is definitely one of them. Uh, I have a, I have a list of books. I'm like, when my son gets older, I'm going to be looking at this and telling him to read, you know, and this is, I think this is an important one. So where, where can people grab a copy of the book and where can people find you for other stuff that you're working on, or if you decide to write another book or articles or wherever, what's the best place to find you? Sure.
1: Do? Um, so, so my book is available on almost any retailer, um, Amazon or directly through Princeton University Press, um, which, which published it. And, uh, yeah, I hope people uh, take a shot at, um, at reading it. Um, I am on Twitter at, uh, Marks, M A R T S J O Y um, so you can get an idea of what I do there. Are links to some of the other work I do. I blog uh fairly regularly for commentary magazines. That's a place to find their work. they probably uh the uh the, the, the Twitter site is that should be connected to other stuff I do involved with uh with the proliferation of dat jokes.
0: I love it. That, that's one of my favorite things as a dad. I love the bad joke. So yeah, I will link all that in the description below. So thank you so much, Jonathan. And yeah, I'm sure we'll be talking again real soon.
1: Thank you, Chris.
0: All right, everybody. That was my conversation with Jonathan Marks. And and yeah, I honestly could have made this like a two or three our conversation. So if you want to learn more uh about this topic and some of the you know issues and challenges that we're facing, make sure you head down to the description and grab a copy of Jonathan's book, Let's Be Reasonable. And while you're there, make sure you're following him on Twitter. And you can follow me as well over on Twitter and Instagram at the Rewired Soul. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, something I was thinking about. I tell this to a lot of the authors after we stop recording and we, you know, we were wrap, we're wrapping up and everything. But Most of the time I only get through like, maybe like I'd say on average 15 to 25% max of the topics that I've pulled from their books. So I, I have just pages and pages of notes and so many things like that. So I don't know if I need to start doing these longer or if it's better to keep them like short to encourage you guys, to like go read the books because yeah, I, I, I never want, I never want this podcast to ever, 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 ever be a substitute for reading their books. Like I, 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 I've I, talked about this a little bit before, but I think books are the best way to get a full picture of someone's thoughts, opinions, arguments, research data, depending on the topic and all that. So always make sure you're getting the book. Don't just, you know, be like, oh, well I listen to the podcast because we don't even touch nearly enough here. All right, but uh, yeah. Anyways, um, if you are new and you're not yet, make sure you are uh, subscribed to the podcast or following the podcast. And I know you're thinking, you're like, Chris, how can I support this podcast, but I don't got any money? Well, thank you for asking. Let me tell you, a great way to support the podcast that's 1,000% free is to share the episodes on social media. For example, if you thought this was a good episode, if there were some decent topics and conversations that came up, share it over on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Reddit or Snapchat. I don't even know if you can do that, but just share it. It really helps out a lot. The other thing that's free of charge that helps out a lot is if you head over to Apple, all right, find the podcast, leave a rating, leave a review. All that stuff really helps. It helps uh, the algorithms be like, hey, this is a decent podcast. We're gonna send it out to some more people and we can build this lovely little community. All right, but some other ways you could support uh, the podcast and my insane reading habit, uh, down in the description below, there's links uh, to the rewiredsoul.com where you can grab some of the books that I have written, uh, you know, on mental health, addiction recovery, YouTube cancel culture. Um, There's also a link down below if you wanna become a patron. And there is also an affiliate link for BetterHelp Online Therapy. All right, as many of you know, mental health is a huge, huge part of my life as somebody in recovery. BetterHelp is a service that I have personally used. So if you're interested in trying out some therapy, it's affordable online. You can do it from the comfort of your own home. And yeah, it's with a licensed therapist. So check it out. Affiliate link down below for BetterHelp Online Therapy. All right, so another huge thanks to Jonathan Marks for taking some time to come on the podcast. Make sure you follow him and grab a copy of his book. All right. But yeah, for all of you, make sure you stay staying tuned. Okay. Cause I have some great episodes coming this week. Like you don't even know, like we, we have a wide range of topics and then the next week, oh, it's going to blow your brain up. So make sure that you stay tuned. All right. But for now, have an amazing rest of your day and I'll see you next time.